forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel for going on 12 years now. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast, whether you have been there from the beginning or whether you have just picked it up for this episode. I hope you'll stick with it. Um, I'm trying something new. Um, I mentioned a few episodes ago that I started doing some teaching with Script Anatomy, which I really have enjoyed. Um, and it's awoken something in me, which is that I really, you know, love doing that. It's um, part of why I started doing the podcast in the first place is, you know, the democratization of this information. Uh, I truly believe that writing is a craft that can be learned like woodwork or ceramics. And I feel like after doing this podcast now for almost 12 years, I can impart some of what I've learned to you. So I've started this newsletter. Uh, it is a weekly newsletter. You can get it at benblacker.substack.com. And um, the idea is basically an extension of the writer's panel. It's conversations about the business and craft of writing. Um, sometimes the business is hard to keep up with. And so that's why with the newsletter, we can sort of keep on top of what's happening in the business. Um, craft has changed very little, but I think there's room for a sort of distillation of the conversations, the advice, uh, the stories from you know, 3,000 writers that I've talked to over these past 12 years. Um, and so that's exactly what the newsletter benblacker.substack.com is going to be. Um, I've already launched it. You can subscribe right now. There is a free subscription that you will get a monthly newsletter. Um, the first week of every month is going to be a free newsletter that is about the craft. Uh, it's about, you know, what to write or how to write. Um, it'll be about business. It's going to be, you know, the, the more this is a community, the better it is. So it's going to be about the things that you want to hear about. I've already heard from a few subscribers who want to hear very specific um, advice. And so we'll do that. Um, there's also a paid subscription, which will come out weekly. Um, the paid subscribers will get a lot of extra stuff. And I, you know, I don't take it lightly that there is a paid subscription to this. Uh, and the reasons for doing a paid subscription subscription are, uh, multiple are manifold. Um, and I'll talk about it in, on the newsletter at some point, but basically like it comes down to two things. I'm really going to put a lot into this newsletter and I want it to be worthwhile for those of you who are paying. It's only $6 a month. Uh, there's a $66 for the year special going on. Um, and you'll get lots of stuff. Uh, you'll get short interviews with pro writers. Um, you'll get assessments of industry trends. We're going to, every month we'll look at deadline and talk about some of the more important stories that have come out and what it means for the industry. Um, I'm also going to send out templates for outlines. Um, I'll send out script samples, stuff like that. You you tell me what you're looking for, character worksheets, whatever you're looking for. I want to hear from you and I'll find them and, and offer them to paid subscribers. Um, I think the biggest thing you get with a paid subscription is I'm going to do monthly, at least monthly, um, live Q&As. 
with professional writers via Zoom that only paid subscribers will have access to. And the gist of these is that you are going to ask the questions that you want answered from professional writers who have been successful in the movie and TV industry. Our first guest is already lined up. The end of October, the last weekend in October, we're going to talk to C. Robert Cargill, who, uh, of course, you know as the screenwriter of um, Sinister, Doctor Strange. Uh, he has the new movie, The Black Phone, came out this year, which is terrific. Um, and Cargill is, I couldn't ask for a better first guest. Um, he's so thoughtful about the industry. He does not live in Hollywood. He does not live in uh, California. He lives in Austin. And, you know, he has a real perspective on the industry and about the craft. He started out, like many of us, as a fan and became a professional. Um, so I think you, you're going to want to be a part of this conversation with Cargill. The info will go out to paid subscribers um, a couple weeks before the Q&A. The Q&A will be the uh, Halloween weekend, fittingly. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Honestly, it'll be as long as you all want it to be. You know, you'll have a conversation with Cargill that I'll just sort of moderate. Um, I think I think it's going to be a really good time. I have future guests already lined up and they are, you know, these are industry professionals. Part of what I miss about doing the live writers panel was the Q&A is from the audience. Uh, we had so much fun doing that and I got to see the same folks uh over and over at these live events and I miss that and so I, I kind of want to recreate that over Zoom where you know you don't have to live in Los Angeles to be a part of these conversations so go to benblacker.substack.com uh, there's already stuff up there we launched last week with free um, a bunch of free articles uh, this will also be you know, we'll, I'll do all the uh, podcast announcements here any other announcements that need announcing um, once again, that's benblacker.substack.com. Give the, give the paid, uh, subscription a chance. Um, do it for a few months. See how you feel about it. Uh, I would really be grateful for the support. If you've listened to the podcast, you know that like, it's me, it's my engineer, Jordan Katz, um, doing this thing all on our own. Uh, I do all the booking it's, it's work. And so if you've enjoyed the podcast, consider subscribing to the uh, newsletter, uh, a small token of your gratitude for that. I would be very grateful. Um, there's also, I should mention, a opportunity um, to subscribe at a higher rate, which includes for, for 200 bucks, I will read your script and give you notes on your script. Um, check that out when you subscribe it's one of the options we do uh, i'll give notes we'll do a zoom session where i talk to you about those notes i think i'm good at giving notes um and i really love reading new writers so if you are a writer who's ready to be read give that a try um, again it gives you a year-long subscription but it also gives you this bonus uh, of being read and getting notes by me a professional writer um but if nothing else, uh, it's worth subscribing for the Q&As, uh, which, listen, if they're, if they're as much fun as I think they're going to be, we'll do it more than once a month. I think it could be really cool. And those Q&As won't be available anywhere else, at least not for a long time. Um, all right. Benblacker.substack.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting this podcast. I really appreciate it. And thanks for supporting me. I appreciate that more than you can imagine. 
They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to my returning pal, Julia Yorks. (laughs) Hi, Julia. Hi, Ben. Julia, um... You will recall, um, worked we, Julia and I worked together on Puss in Boots for many years, and um, she was so good at it and like embarrassed the rest of us, really, and was... has done a number of things <laughs> since. Um, I'm going to talk over your protestations. She's done a number of things since, including uh, the movie One Up that came out this past year or this year. And uh, she's got a new podcast called The Baby Writers Podcast, and that is is what I want to talk to you about. First Yay, of all, I'm following in your footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I'm really glad I could pave the way for more podcasts. Um, which I think sort of like that's kind of my first question like there has to be a reason to have a podcast these days. It's not like any Yahoo can do it like when I started doing it. Um, and I think yours is so good and it's so specific. So first, just tell the folks what Baby Writers is and where it came from. Yeah. So the Baby Writers podcast, contrary to the title, has no babies, just baby writers, uh, which is a kind of you know, infantilizing term that is used in the industry (laughs) for new writers who have recently become professionals in the industry. And, and I just felt like there was sort of a gap in, in information and wisdom and knowledge. We get a lot of info coming from the top, like the very successful people in the business. And I actually think, Ben, you do a great job on your show. Like you have had assistants on, you have had newly professional writers, you've had me when I was a baby writer. And so I, I do think that that you're a great resource for this as well. But I wanted to hear from the people who have broken in in the last two years, because as we all know, this industry has changed so much, especially since the pandemic. And so the writers that I've been talking to, they've all broken in in the last two years. And that doesn't mean that they haven't been working at this since before then, but they've really started working professionally very recently. And I started the podcast because uh, I... <laughs> I started a TikTok, a screenwriting TikTok that, um, (laughs) that, and that was kind of, you know, a writer on there suggested that I do a podcast and I thought, man, I'm doing so much free work. Why don't I add in a little more? And so I said, (laughs) (laughs) let's also start a podcast. (laughs) But I think it's, it's great. And I think you're right that it absolutely fills uh, a hole that was in the conversations about TV writing right now. And to have writers who have really broken through in the past couple of years gives us like a great take on the current landscape. I'm curious to hear, you know, I know you've recorded a bunch of episodes already. Um, As of this release, you'll have two released. Um, But like what, what kind of topics have come up over these conversations that uh, might give new writers insight into the current landscape of TV? Yeah, I would say uh, there's a couple. The first one is that every single person that I've talked to has broken in in a completely different way, which I find to be fascinating. And I'm not just talking about someone was assistant, someone wasn't. I'm talking someone got staffed off of Twitter for writing a fan fiction spec 
of a show and someone else yeah, worked their that. way up through the assistant track. And so it's just really interesting to hear the range of stories. And it's not necessarily like, oh, you can follow this person's specific path, but it opens your eyes a little bit to how many different paths there are. Um, there's also, obviously, I think, based on the current landscape, one of my questions that I ask every one of the guests is, what do you think the difference is between breaking in now and breaking in, hmm. you know, 20 years ago? And I think that, you know, everyone mentions the shorter episode orders and, and mini rooms and things like that. But also something positive is social media. And all of these writers have a pretty big presence on Twitter. Um, and we saw recently with, you know, the TikTok uh, initiative, love it or hate it, mm -hmm. social yeah, yeah. media is a factor in in breaking into the industry now. So I thought that was super interesting. Those are, have been the biggest takeaways I found. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot to learn from both of these and, and from, you know, the podcast as a whole. But I think this th this idea of breaking in and that there's no one way to do it. There's no 10 ways to do it. Like, I remember yeah. having this conversation a decade ago with writers who had broken mm -hmm. in 10 and 20 years before then. Um, and But there are lessons we can take from those stories, even though they are not replicable stories. Yeah. Um, and I think the hardest part, too, is you know, being a bit removed from being a baby writer, I say I'm maybe like a, a toddler or tween writer now at this point in my career, but it is so interesting to see two things that I experienced when I was at that stage that I think a lot of professional writers have experienced that gap between maybe your first or second job mm -hmm. or your second or third job and how tough it is to be in that, those early stages of your career in such a different way than it is once you've sort of proven yourself to the people um, who have the power to hire you, right? Not to say you're not proving yourself as a staff writer, but it takes more time and more relationships and more um, experience before people are willing to throw money at you. And and they're still, you know, they're not throwing money. They're softly, softly lobbing it <laughs> occasionally. Um but but yeah, so so that has been really interesting too to see their perspective and feel um, old. I guess I feel old doing this podcast. So that is <laughs> that has been a fun a fun added. Bonus, you are I let's think. say let's say you're established, not old. Established. <laughs> you you you're confident in your ability. But I think like listen, you you've gone through a lot of these same things that your guests have, um, mm -hmm. where like. I know that like the those early years are hard. They've always been hard. I think they're harder than they've ever yeah. been. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a really interesting conversation to be listening in on um, on your podcast. Um, let yeah. me ask like a real podcasty nuts and bolts question. Where are you? Okay. How are you finding your guests? How are you booking folks? Oh, I thought you meant like, do I find them delightful or not? And I was like, I'm not going <laughs> to. How are you finding them? Um, who's, who's been your worst you know guest? You can tell me. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> Every, <laughs> everyone. No, how, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm how finding are you them. Yeah. How, how am I finding them? Yes. Uh, on 
social media on Twitter. Would yeah. you believe it? Uh, so you have to be on Twitter because that's where all those opportunities happen. But <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've se- I've been following so many writers and and there are so many people who have come up in the last couple of years who you know you know off of social media with or yeah. develop a friendship, and I've gotten recommended some people. Um, and so, so yeah, so that has been really cool. It's been great to connect with people whose tweets I like IRL as the kids say. That's kind of (laughs) great. I mean, like there's, there's been this weird thing that has happened over the past few years where I find myself interacting with someone on Twitter. Like this person is so funny. They must be like, they must've been a Simpsons writer for 20 years. And like, You learn they are just breaking in. You know, they've had, they have a year yeah. or two under their belt. Um, but there's like, I feel like social media is in many ways a head start in writing, especially comedy writing. But like, you learn how to communicate better than we did 20 years ago. Yeah, no, it's, question, it's just about hearing. Yeah. <laughs> hearing and seeing different people's perspectives and I I read some of these tweets mm-hmm. and I think that is so freaking funny and there's no way I ever would have thought about it like I never would have yeah. thought of something in that way and um yeah I mean my favorite pastime is scrolling so uh <laughs> I <laughs> that's not good that's not good for you you have you have deadlines my fingers um, my fingers are hurting it's like carpal tunnel oh, yeah. You get Twitter Twitter finger? That's no good. Twitter finger, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not covered by the WGA health insurance either. <laughs> um, is there something in Baby Writers, is there something in the podcast that, are there questions that you are specifically seeking answers to or seeking to explore? Yes. Uh, I want to know about screenwriter Twitter drama. And <laughs> Julia, I want to hear the fun stuff. I never know what's I, happening. You have to look harder. That's what happens is I never <laughs> follow the people who are, but, but I put no. on my detective hat and my monocle and I just look, I work backwards and I solve that crime because I want to know I'm very nosy. And as long as the drama, do you ask about me, it on the I podcast? <laughs> I, so I, a little bit, yeah. I um, well, I just ask my last two questions of the pod are always: What is your screenwriting hard truth, and your screenwriting hard take? Or sorry, screenwriting hard truth and screenwriting hot take. So uh, the hot take would be: What is going to spur the next screenwriter Twitter drama? And then the hard truth is basically what is something that might be hard to hear for emerging writers, but that you wish someone had told you. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I do a lot of the same. I am, I, you have, you are such a wonderful interviewer and host. And so I aspire cool. to that. And I try to let the conversation <laughs> go. Oh my gosh, leave this in. I try to let the conversation <laughs> like go you know, where, where it should go. But, but I also, those are kind of the the big questions. Also, I do a little, you know, day in the life of a screenwriter because I love TikTok oh, day in the lives. Uh, so yeah. just, just kind of hearing what everyone's perspective is. And, and it's very interesting because, you know, no one has the same schedule. No one has the same habits, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's been really fun. And I think in this time that we are still pretty remote, it has been really great to connect connect with other writers. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you're very good at it, I will say. I mean, there was no oh, question that you. you would be, but but you really, uh, you're the kind of host that I want to hear. Like, you're asking the questions that I want to hear. And, and you're having oh, conversations about both process and business, which is what we do here. Um, but it's in a different context, which I really appreciate it. So as we wrap up, let me ask you, and I know these answers will change every day, but what is your screenwriting <laughs> hard truth? Oh my God, I should have been prepared for this. What is my screenwriting hard truth? I think in light of some of the news that came out recently and some of the the debates around them via the, the WB program or the TikTok initiative is that you can do everything right. You can be extremely talented and it still doesn't mean that it's going to happen in the timeline that you think that it should. There is no in line. There's no cutting yeah. the line because there is no line. And I think that is the hardest truth. It does not follow a path. And that means that there is no rhyme or reason to um, how you're going to get your break. But I do strongly believe that if you stay in long enough, other people quit. And so the cream always <laughs> rises and you just have it's, – it's like Survivor, right? You just got to outlast them all. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think that's that's a great hard truth. And I think making peace with that idea makes for a happier uh, person in this industry. What is your hot take? Bolded slug lines. Bold those them? babies. I love them. <laughs> so much easier to read. I love them. All you right. know, because in animation, in animation, you bold and underline. And I, t I yeah. think that's a step too far. Um, <laughs> so I def just bold and I bold them all. I bold the, if I'm doing a camera thing, cut to, I bold it. Fade in, I bold it. The end, this is wild. bold it. All of it. I know. I know. People are going to be getting for me on, on the Twitter, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, listen, don't tell them where you are on Twitter. Um, but definitely, folks, check out the Baby Writers podcast. Uh, you'll enjoy it. And leave your comments about uh, bolding slug lines on the Baby Writers like <laughs> Apple comments <laughs> that I want to see. Julia, thanks so much. Um, congrats on the podcast and on all of your wild success lately. Thank you, Ben. This is how a podcast starts. What I'm going to do is go around and ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone and tell us some places where we may have seen your name on our television screen so the folks know who you are. And Steve, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Steve Lightfoot. Uh, you will have seen my name on um, Behind Her Eyes, recently on Netflix, The Punisher, Netflix, Hannibal, uh, House of Saddam for HBO. Um, and... I'm old, so way too many other things. And, and newly, do you want to plug your new show? Well, I could, yeah, and, and newly coming is uh, Shantram on Apple TV Plus, which will premiere October 14th. Yes, so by the time this is out, uh, folks will have seen a couple of... Yeah, episodes. we will know what the world thinks by the time this comes out. <laughs> they love it. I, I'm going to say, this is me in the future, they love it. It's lighting up Twitter, I want to say. Uh, Tana. Uh, hello, my name is Dana Ledoux Miller. I've worked on The Newsroom, Narcos, and most recently my limited series is on Netflix, Thai Cave Rescue. Watch that now, please. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Stop what you're doing, watch it. And because we're going to get deep inside, we're going to 
give spoilers. Yes. <laughs> um, they all live. Yeah, no I got it from the title. <laughs> no new season. I would love... Listen, Jordan, take this out. But I would love if, like, they get out, I assume, in the last episode or near it, and then season two is like, oh, my God, we fell in another hole. Um, well, <laughs> Have you pitched this? let me tell you. <laughs> We, uh, the studio is definitely trying to get a season two going, so I keep sending them. Anytime somebody falls into something, like when the two people <laughs> fell into the Hershey factory vat mm-hmm. of chocolate, I figured that would be a yeah. great follow-up. I, I, I somehow missed that news, <laughs> that breaking news. Hershey came for us, yeah. I mean, I'd watch it. Anyway. Uh, season five, <laughs> man, man Falls in Love. You know, oh, and then it can Jordan, I take it back. Leave it all in. This is gold. Uh, Laura, um, I am Laura Kittrell. Um, if you are a fan of one season television shows that get canceled pretty quickly, I worked on a lot of those, and then I worked on uh, all five seasons of Insecure, and I worked on a Showtime show called Black Monday. And uh, I have a show also coming out on October 14th. So a rivalry is starting right now uh, <laughs> called uh, High School on Amazon Freebie. Congratulations. Perfect. Um, we'll, we'll get into it because I was telling you off the record. Now I tell you on. Oh, I love the show. Oh, great. It's, Thank you. It's adorable. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, it hurts. We'll talk yeah, about it's it. It's painful. And welcome back, Julie Pleck. Thank you. What are you up to? Oh, gosh. Well, I just have launched... Uh, my newest show, Vampire Academy on Peacock, which when this airs should be hurtling towards the finale, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the tenth episode of the season. So it's been um, it was a long time coming and a lot of hard work and really really proud of it. Yeah. And then you may have seen my name on other vampire shows <laughs> over the last fifteen years, The Vampire Diaries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, first of all, the people love Vampire Academy, so congrats. Thank you. Um, like I cannot stop hearing about it. Uh, I watched the pilot; it's great, and uh, it's interesting to me, like. Listen, you've been dealing with vampires for a long time now, and I'm sure you've answered this question, but I'll give you all softballs to start. Um, <laughs> what what's it makes this different? You know, why why get into this show? Why do vampires again? Yeah. But what also what makes it still you, but also different from the stuff that came before? You know, it, I always wanted to do this before Vampire Diaries was even you know a, a German sparkle in my eye. Uh, they were it was a book series I had read and enjoyed thoroughly and thought would just make a great YA series. Um, and so when I finally got the opportunity to kind of pick and choose what I wanted to do uh, at my new deal at Universal, when I said, "Oh, I've always loved this book, Vampire Academy, uh, the series Vampire Academy," they were like, "Great!" <laughs> and uh, and I thought, "All right, well, if people think that it's hacky to like, you know." stay in the vampire genre, then they um, certainly are very excited about how hacky it is. So, um, so like, why not? We'll why not? And, and, and honestly, this is so, it's just so fundamentally different on so many mm-hmm. levels. It's, uh, it's an, it's a non-human world, world build. It is, um, you know, that we created a, a, an actual ancient language for mm-hmm. um, some set deck and some text. We, uh, it's a show really about like the kind of eve of a, the, the first spark of a revolution rising up against a society that's unjust that, you know, divides vampires into different caste mm-hmm. systems. And you have, you know, the royal vampires who have all the fun and then the sort of half vampire, half humans who are 
literally born and raised and bred to be the guardians of the royals and and they don't have a choice in the matter and and um so there's a lot of of social dysfunction that needs to be addressed and it's these young two young women that are really gonna you know mm-hmm. that are gonna f- stand up and sort of speak truth to power and i just i've never done anything like that yeah. you know weirdly three vampire shows in it's, it's still new territory so i was excited to take that on um what besides like that initial sort of excitement to tackle this stuff and loving the source material like what what makes this a julie pleck show like what is your where's your personality <laughs> i here? mean here's first of all so my my co-creator uh Showrunning partner in crime and dear, dear mm-hmm. friend Marguerite McIntyre has her beautiful, brilliant, very thoughtful, and very savvy fingerprints all over this. She is certainly the voice of the of the political intrigue of the you know the 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 palace shenanigans, um, and I'm like the mushy one. You know, I've got <laughs> we just. As we speak, has you know about a week into having aired episode six, at the end of which two lead characters kiss for the first time, the the, the romantic pairing, not the friendship. And um, I got the first cut, and it was a nice kiss, and you know it was it was nice. You know there was some there's some you know ice cubes and breathing on necks and stuff, and it was nice. But I was I just watched it. I'm like no 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 no. This this little scene just took. Eight seconds of screen time, the lead up to the kiss. Hmm. I needed take. I needed to take forty eight seconds of screen time. <laughs> I need you to take every single last bit of footage that we have and milk the, you know what, out yeah. of this moment, so that by the time these two people's lips actually connect, that is the last piece of a very <laughs> intricate puzzle, and that's kind of what I do now. It <laughs> it's sense. like my my special skill. But that's also the yeah. stuff, and we I think we've talked about this in the past, like that's the stuff that you love. Like that's yeah. what you want to see. That's, you know, not just people kissing, but like the, the well, relationships, yeah. the emotion, the drama. It's it. the longing, yeah. right? So yeah. my, I've built my entire creative like soul and on the foundation of the idea of longing, longing for love, longing for connection, um, longing to, you know, get past, a, you know, a trauma or grief or whatever, you know, and and that's really where I live as a writer is just trying mm. to make people Connect to those moments that f- you ov- you feel so deeply, whether as an adolescent, as an adult, it doesn't really matter. Um, the longing of like, I want to kiss this person so badly that it's going to take me 90 minutes of staring into his eyes before it happens. <laughs> yes. You know, the, the looks from across the room. I always, of course, my reference is always Jordan Catalano finally Absolutely. taking Angela's <laughs> hand in the hallway. You know, I mean, that is... Yeah. These are universal moments that everybody loves and that really speak to me. So yeah, and um, vampires are you know they're mortal beings, and so like what is lonelier than that? Um, the idea of you know walking this earth alone without yeah, yeah. your person. Um, so that's why I always kind of dip into that genre. We're, we're we won't unpack the personal story going on there um, this time. <laughs> we'll wait till time. But that is that is the thing that's always interesting to me, yeah. whether we're conscious of it or not. Is like what is the personal story that we're telling through this medium and through genre and you know through through um, metaphor? Um, let's talk about that, Steve, in regard to Shantaram. Mm-hmm. Um, is there like what is your way into this show? What was it initially that sparked you to it well i'd read the book um like when it came out like 2004 or whenever it came out in the uk and uh, and owned a copy and had read it two or three times you know so when the call came about do you want to adapt it i was like 
you know, dream come true stuff. And I carried my, you know, and I had this copy that had been on my shelf for years that I carried around. I, you know, it's now got pencil marks on every page. Mm -hmm. And and then I, I realized about three weeks ago, it's a first edition and I really shouldn't <laughs> have like beaten it up across the world. But um, so initially I loved the story, but then I think, you know, what I loved about it, on the one hand, it's this huge sort of romantic, you know, sort of quite old fashioned escapist mm -hmm. adventure. But, you know, the heart of it was this story just about a guy looking for redemption. And I think those, you know, that's a sort of classic story that I'm always taken to, you know, people just trying to be the best version of themselves or, or to mm. make up for, you know, the bad stuff they've <laughs> done and try and be a better version, you know, and I, I sort of feel like that's universal. Because I think all great shows have something to what you're saying about longing, where people go, I'm not a vampire, and, you know, my stuff, I'm not a guy who robbed a bank and escaped jail, but, but I know how a version of what you feel feels. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the audience need that connection with characters, I think, to then to then go on the ride, whether it's, you know, however big or small the story is, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess that's that's sort of like the the process question that I'm interested in is like, how do you keep that emotion true, even as you're telling this very big sort of adventure tale? Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, you just have to put yourself in the character's shoes. I mean, um, my really useless answer there was going to be, oh, well, you just sort of write and you do. Because I, I really like think through my fingers. I mean, I sort of, it's mm -hmm. interesting because I come out of the UK where, you know, there was, I, I now love the writer's room, but there was a, you sort of always used to go off and write. Right. Um, so there was uh, one person sort of writing all the yeah, episodes. Yeah. Or, you know, and there was a team around, but yeah, you sort of went off, you know, and someone went off and wrote an outline and then three weeks later an outline comes back, which didn't work. And you go, you know, it's a much slower process. I mean, I, the writer's room is an amazing thing here. I love it for just, you know, beating the air out of things pretty quick and working out <laughs> what works and what doesn't. But, but, um, but yeah, for me, it's just, yeah, you just, you know, you, you let the characters drive you. And I think, you know, um, that's television for me. It doesn't matter how big these shows get. Mm -hmm. It's still sort of, it's long running. And I think unless people are invested in characters and, and, and essentially the stuff that ultimately ends up being the close-ups, um, TV doesn't work, you yeah. know? And I, I think, and it doesn't matter how big the spectacle is. You know, I think about something that was just recently on, you know, The Bear. Mm -hmm. And I go, I was so tense just wondering if they get sandwiches made. <laughs> right. I mean, it's so That's tiny, but yeah. the stakes for those characters, you were so invested because you're like, oh man, I, you know, it was like watching writers on deadline, you know, yeah, uh, making, instead it was these guys making sandwiches, but you go, I'm so invested in that because I understand and I've been there. And I think if you can do that, yeah. Um, and so it's got to be true. I think, I think whenever anything feels fake, you know, I always, a question I ask in the writer's room a lot is, are they doing that just because we need them to do that to get to the next thing? Because if we are, they have to, we have to find a different way to do it because yeah. I don't, I'm not sure I believe it. Um, yeah, that's a, a good and important question to ask, I think, for a lot of writers who are working on things now, mm -hmm. you know, like p make that part of your process. Yeah. Yeah, and it gets hard because you've got to make things hard for the characters always, right? Like conflict's the thing, yeah. but you've got to do it in a way that doesn't just, if it feels like it's just setting the next thing up, I think I think the audience smell it. You know? Absolutely. Um, all right, um, we'll get back and we'll dig in on some of that other stuff. Um, but Dana, tell us about uh, Thai Cave Rescue and like how how did you find your way into this? Where are you in this story? Uh, it's absolutely not a story that I thought that I would tell. Um, I you know it's about a soccer team trapped in a cave in Thailand in 2018. Um, not my wheelhouse. Who among us cannot relate? 
Um, and I remember watching it with the rest of the world. It was yeah. on the news. I was working on Lodge 49 at the time, which is the exact opposite of Thai Cave Rescue. <laughs> and, you know, we were following it. But then it, it I think it was the beginning of 2020, Michael Gunn, who co-ran it and co-wrote it with me, um, he was really excited about this project. John Chu had it, SK Global, and they were going to go to Netflix with it. And he... He wanted to pitch on it, and he asked me if I would join him on it. Um, we've been friends for a really long time. We started on the newsroom together. I was just – I just had a baby. She was six – four six weeks old at the time, oh and I was God. like, I'm not going back to work. <laughs> and he convinced me because we started talking about the story, and, you know, we knew the big details. There was – you know, thousands of people came to Thailand to rescue some boys who had been in a cave for 18 days. He writes, Michael writes a lot of, you know, real life action, historical drama stuff. It was more his deal than mine. Mm. And he came to me and was like, but what if we make this a family drama, a character study? He's like, we have the rights to the boys if we get this project. We can access them. We can talk to their families. We can figure out what really happened on the ground on an emotional level. And I was like, okay, if that's the way we go in, then then let's do it. Sure. So glad I did because I think we sold it and two weeks later was the first COVID lockdown. So I had a job through the pandemic, <laughs> you know, and which was really nice, um, especially having a baby and being able to work at home. Yeah. Uh, and that is really the approach that we took. We started um, John M. Chu, who was executive producing, he, he had tweeted right after it happened um, saying that he wanted to have the most authentic representation of this story and that is something that I feel very passionate about and I felt a great responsibility to do so we really dug in and interviewed every single person we could find from the real boys to their families to the U.S. military the Thai military the divers we we got the rights to the Australian divers who ended up saving the boys so we got to spend time with them and um we just decided to start at the beginning, you know, in these rescue stories, a lot of times the focus is on the people who save them and not on the people who are experiencing the trauma. So we started asking ourselves, like, what must it have been like to be a parent knowing that your child is a mile and a half inside of a cave and you don't know if they're going to live or die for 18 days yeah, and wow. being outside. So we we built our story around that and then just made it bigger and bigger because it was a rescue story, so we couldn't ignore that. Um, it was really exciting to me to do something on that scale. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of shows where people talk about weird things, and this wasn't that, so it was a challenge for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's very human, right? And there's sort of drama built into it. Um, how do you start to wrangle all of these stories, though? How do you start to give this a narrative through line? Well, we were fortunate in that there was a timeline. There was 18 days. There was a rescue. There were definitely markers that we had to hit. But what we realized in the research was that three people really came to the forefront of it. And we started thinking about them as if these three people weren't involved in this, this wouldn't have gone well. Hmm. And so the first was the coach um, talking to him, learning from him, realizing that he was uniquely situated to be in this horrible situation. He had been orphaned as a child and ended up living in a monastery for 10 years uh, as a a Buddhist monastery. And so he was used to eating one meal a day, filling, uh, drinking water to curb his hunger. 
and meditating to calm his mind. And so those are the things that he huh. used. He kept his cool in the midst of this chaotic event. And, you know, as thir- or 12 boys are facing their mortality, he was in there with them in the darkness and kept them calm. And because of that, they preserved their oxygen. They, they had no food for the first 10 days, nothing. Wow. And just water off of the rocks in, in the cave. And so he saved them. I truly believe that. Hmm. And then there was the governor who was the local governor who really, we talked to him a lot, ran the whole operation. He was the one for whom the weight of it all fell if it went wrong. Um, he had the most to lose. And he was just this very thoughtful man. He was... Um, trained as an engineer in the United States. He had all of this, like, this very unique background to Mm. be able to deal with politicians, but to also understand the logistics of what needed to happen for this to go well. And then there was the um, Dr. Harry, who's the Australian diver who ended up anesthetizing them. Um, He's the only cave diver in the world who is also an anesthetist. (laughs) That's wild. Um, And so... He did not want to do this. I mean, the idea as a doctor of drugging children to the point of unconsciousness (laughs) and then swimming them out through the most dangerous cave system any of these divers had ever been through, hoping they don't drown. um, He's like, that's I can't do that. And they convinced him. He came and saw that it really was the only option in Mm. the end. And because of him, uh, they all lived. Now we all want to watch. So we <laughs> shaped the series around them. The first two episodes yeah. really focus on the coach, and then the governor, and then gotcha. um, I was holding my breath listening. To <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I I knew the I know, ending. I know my why. Friend, uh, my friend I know why that pitched so pretty quick. On the edge of my seat. Yeah. Listen, if the storytelling is this good. Laura, let's talk about high school and... The stakes have never felt lower, by the way. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, like, the reason I think all of us love high school stories, and, and I think many of us go back to them, is the stakes feel so high. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. so, you know, there are a lot of voices in this show. You are not the co... Uh, not the sole creator. No. It's also based on Tegan and Sarah's book. So tell me about finding your voice in this show and where you fit in. I think, yeah, it's it's based on a memoir that uh, Tegan and Sarah had written, and I came on Clea Duvall, who had been friends with them for 15 years and knew their family, and a lot of the people that the, that the memoir was about oh. had already written the first two scripts when I came on board, and um, I knew that they were looking for somebody to partner with her. And I read the book and I read the scripts and it, I mean, it, it felt like a thing that had come from my brain that had been <laughs> put in front of me. <laughs> I felt like, I think that uh, when I was the age of these characters, my like entry point into TV was two different ways in terms of I was a big TV nerd. I mean, I was just a big nerd about like the craft and was very into listening to, you know, the DVD commentaries and just learning all of the things. Um, but I also grew up in a small town in Mississippi, which was very conservative, and I didn't know any gay people um, at all. 
And so I would watch all my children and I would record it and I would just fast forward to the scenes that Susan Lucci's gay daughter was in mm -hmm. and basically just create it, which I think now is just like a thing on YouTube for every show. But I found at the time I'd created this sort your, of like fan version. You of made like a super cut. Story. And I don't know, I'd never, I never thought that those two sides were related. I kind of thought that like there is a separate gay part of me and there is a separate TV part of me <laughs> and never the two shall meet. Um, and this is the first time that they actually have met, which is wild. And it's like, it's feels surreal because it is characters who were the age that I was when I was feeling all of these things. Um, so I think there, there is, I think there is a show within me since I was 15 years old that this has, has become, which is wild because it, it's not something that actually originated with me. Hmm. Um, I think the kinds of shows I was drawn to but haven't been given the opportunity to write as much are more of the like my so-called life. I was obsessed with a show called Once and Again. I um, love that oh show God. so much. It's one of my favorite love shows it. ever and it canceled too soon. Before <laughs> we could see if the step-siblings right? could get romantic. I know, I know. And that's that's the real shame. Yeah. Solo Ward was from my hometown. So it was a oh huge, God. I mean, Once and Again, it was like, I didn't think anybody knew it outside of oh God, I love the Solo Ward fans. <laughs> You're um, in the right room. Great. <laughs> but I... I, I love that and no yeah I, I've never gotten a chance to write the like kind of just character drama that yeah. that, that was I was gonna um, I was gonna mention like the the shows that you said the, like the one season shows that yes. uh, did not last the Michael J Fox show and the comedians like both of which were really good shows mm -hmm. but like very joke heavy shows yes um, tell me about like now working on high school and like accessing those emotions. I mean, even even insecure like has this emotional component, but it's a it's still a very joke heavy show. Yeah, I, I mean, I really have just had to access who I was as a fifteen year old and what I was actually feeling and what how I was responding to the situations that you're in when you're a teenager. Like, I mean, like you said, everything does feel like the most serious, high stakes thing in the world, and that's kind of what the the show is. Yeah, and can you explain a little bit about Freevee? <laughs> this is, it's, Thank you. I have heard of it, obviously. Yes. I don't know anything about it, and it feels, it's it feels of interest. If uh, if you yes. don't mind digging in, explaining it a little bit. It is of huge interest to me and in the future of my career. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is well, a you can access any of the shows on Amazon Prime. Yeah. You could just go into Amazon Prime. Search. They'll show up as if they, they are Amazon shows. As if they are an Amazon show. Yeah. But you can also it is an ad based streaming service. So if you don't want to pay for Amazon Prime, there is also a thing called Freevee that you do not have to pay for, but you will be sitting through a certain amount of ads. Yeah. They and invented TV. They again. invented TV. <laughs> I mean, so it's broadcast. It is, yes. But it, it is broadcast, exactly. but streaming. It, and, it is Freevee. And <laughs> how do people know that Freevee exists? Are they like pushing it out all over Amazon? Or is it like mailers? Is it, I mean, are they using the Amazon is, if, behemoth? Yes. To... yes. On the Amazon platform, like you wouldn't know that Freevee is there because it looks all the same. Like it's folded into the Amazon Prime platform. Mm -hmm. But if people are not on Amazon Prime, which I don't know who those people are anymore, um, you can access it without being on prime and there's if you i mean if you go on apple tv right now like the banner on my apple tv is like freebies yeah. coming it's coming there the, i mean <laughs> okay so it's I, not... I have i have no idea if this will be successful i hope it yeah. is i don't think there's a separate app yet though there is, is going there? to be a separate app yeah. there will be okay. can I, is there are you the flagship or i mean are you the first freebie show or? we have there's a greg garcia show mm -hmm. that's on now 
And then there is um, there was a show called Leverage that they right. picked up from TNT. Maybe? It was the Leverage like oh, leverage. reboot yeah, or yeah. Con- yeah. continuation. There's yeah, a Bosch yeah. reboot that's on oh, there. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a bunch of stuff on there now with yeah. with ads or without. <laughs> and is it like? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh ahead. no. I, I, can I ask? Like, so if you know you're writing for an ad supported <laughs> streamer, do you have to write to app, act breaks? We did have to write to act breaks, but that was a, a kind of a late in the game. Thank uh, you, Freebie. Is that they? <laughs> yes, there. That, that was how many a, act breaks? Uh, two act breaks. Oh, that's, that's it. So oh, but yeah. it's half hour. But it's half hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bosch has four. Yes, Bosch four, has four okay. acts. Like, yeah, four is yes. not bad. Well, no, it's sort of classic. TV. Kind yeah. of fit structure. Yeah, it's when exactly. it was six, and suddenly you're yeah, like, I, I, I don't know what how that. I don't know what that. Yeah. It's not quite the same as what network is doing. Yes. It's a, you get a little more time. Actually, I'm curious about like your time constraints. Yeah. Did it have to be a it, certain... It did not. I mean, it was basically... I, I think our shortest episode is 21 minutes and our longest is 27. Can they you were swear? Pretty, is there broadcast standards? You cannot say the F word, but you can say other <laughs> things. That's good. Um, Freebie isn't and the F word. Say that as much as you like. <laughs> they encourage it. That's yeah. so interesting. But and then, oh, oh, sorry. Even if, but even with our act breaks, part of the structure of the show is uh, like the pilot. The first half is from uh, Tegan's point of view, and the second half is from yeah. Sarah's point of view. And so there are certain things that you're that you're that are overlapping between the two of them, but you're also following them on yeah. totally separate journeys. So there is a very natural act yeah. break. It worked well for your show, yeah. But then we have had to kind of manufacture another act break within one of those two halves, which was its own. Am I right? Are are a lot of the Hulu shows the same because they have both? Because I feel like often in those shows, you know, I I have the version without the ads and you definitely get that black frame. Yeah, Hulu does it. Mm -hmm. Peacock does it. Peacock, we write act outs, but we don't. That's what I was wondering. But we don't get the note, can you strengthen the act out? So I don't mind writing oh. to an act out as long as no one's going to tell me my act out's not strong enough, which is right. such a, a broadcast thing. <laughs> yeah, we've never yeah. we've never gotten that. Yeah, Very that's good. And then Hulu, I have suspicions. <laughs> because I watch Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, mm-hmm. most specifically, and they'll just like act out in the middle of a breath. Yeah. They'll just yeah. be like, I think somebody just goes in and feels like, it's about time for a commercial. Like some guy in a <laughs> yeah, takes Bruce's work and just like, we're just gonna cut here. It just sort of feel like the scene hasn't quite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that was that yeah. wasn't quite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, don't, that's I, my I assume that's where I'm the ads go. Yeah, I, I sort of, um, you know, have the version without them. But I'm like, oh yeah. And so much like, that's a weird place for an ad. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they write for, especially the dramas. I don't think they write for the ad breaks on Hulu. But it feels like the comedies have that built in for some. I guess a lot of them are for FX. For acts, I mean, uh, repeating something we said, sort of feels like natural storytelling anyway yeah. you kind of want something decent happening at the end of each act anyway it's just if uh, yeah for sure but you also want it to be go well this act's 18 and maybe that one's nine like it's when that stuff gets policed it's so hard isn't it, it? Uh, it's funny i remember early days vampire diaries was one of the first years that the six act structure was um yeah. was the thing and um and it was so frustrating because you would get that note strengthen your act outs there's got to be something to keep bringing people be back from commercial and so we would just go bananas and and then <laughs> i remember an early review from matt roush over at tv guide about halfway through the first a quarter of the way through the first season he's like you know they're burning through so much story they can't possibly sustain this and i was like haha like, just you wait but it wasn't like we didn't set out to like be so twisty turny as the storytellers we just had to 
Yeah. You know, I didn't want to hear the freaking note <laughs> about the act out strengthening. And so we just made sure our act outs were so oomphy all the time. And it then, worked. But it, thank I mean. you. But it also, <laughs> and, and yes, it absolutely worked. And that's, I think, why the show, people liked it so much. So, like, I'm not complaining totally. But it it really does change the way you tell a story. It changes the way you write and think and break. Uh -huh. And it's yeah. not always good. You, know? you always feel like you're writing a trailer, almost. Don't you? Yeah. you always feel like you're right. just writing you're the writing trailer with map. some scenes in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> you are you are pulling up character moves because because you need something oomphy mm. that you could have you know it's something you could have done in the fifth act with a character you're doing at the end of the second act oh. with the character. It, it it does it burns you through an incredible amount of character and story all at once, and it it was it was hard. Have, have you had <laughs> to train yourself out of that? now oh god i mean i don't i'm about to <sighs> vampire academy was my first streaming show i just started a mm -hmm. little mini room another another one and i feel like my greatest insecurity and fear as a writer is am i like fancy enough am i am i elegant enough to tell story for streaming or am i only capable of doing it the way that i'm used to doing sure. it for like 13 years and the the jury's out to be honest i definitely like to push I like to push twists I like to push the turns I like to have a really clear sense of like you know Brett Matthews my showrunning partner in Legacies always used to say the episode needs to declare itself by the act out of the first act hmm. if you haven't declared your episode then you're doing it all wrong and I you know but that's not always true in the fancy streaming universe you know so I mean I was <laughs> I don't even remember what I was watching but it was literally an episode where like nothing happened and I thought okay streamers okay I see you I see you but and everyone's like oh my god it's so smart and so wonderfully told I'm like okay streamers yes and no I mean right like I think there's also an audience and listen I'm part of that audience like who grew up watching network tv and we like the rhythms of network mm -hmm. tv you know like we those those act outs are comforting <laughs> to us and it doesn't have to be game changing every time but there is a rhythm to that kind of storytelling that i hope we're not moving away from can i say something controversial <laughs> um oh, thank god i just watched house of dragons mm -hmm. and the last episode this is not a spoiler because nothing happened. It was of like, the season. No, this last oh, this episode most recent episode. Yeah, Got and it. it was I don't know ten minutes of literally cutaways of people looking at each other, <laughs> and and it was like so and so's looking here, so and like I was like oh, no one said anything for easily minutes. It was just looking, and I was like, I think we've had enough. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's too much looking is, it, is not a good thing. But like thing. Game of Thrones and all all respect to Game of Thrones which I actually loved deeply, but their whole pattern for the first half of their season was nothing happens yeah. for 48 minutes and then something really fucking cool happens for 10 minutes and you're like that was the best episode I can't wait for next week, you know. But House every of Dragons episode, hasn't like, gotten mm. mastered that one yet though, I don't think. And and look, I love the shows too, but it's not always a good thing. Like I think audiences want to see something happen, yeah. especially we've gotten like <clears throat> prestige also, fatigue. Yeah. I also think um, prestige fatigue. With, I with, like that. You know, yeah. I, I want to get a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also felt like there was something about you know. There, I, I mean, I think they went down to forty-three or something, which is tight. But there was something about forty-five to fifty minutes as the length that an a, an episode of television was in four acts. 
of you know story structure that was really satisfying as a, a viewer. And the other thing I find with a lot of shows now is the minute something gets to 57, 58 minutes, I'm, I'm less likely to watch the next one because I'm like, wow, that was... That was a, a commitment. Yeah. But also, and some do it great and some don't, it's either, you either need an, an extra act of story, you know, yeah. that, that extra 15 minutes is actually, there better be an act of story right. in it. You can't pad out the previous Or, acts. as you say, it should have been 48 and instead it's been it's, sort of grandeured yeah. to 58 and I sometimes think there's an el there's, there is a little element of that of oh we, we need to we need to make sure we've got our grandeur and you go yeah. it's it's kind of just slow padding though you know well, and, my, and I think, you know I, I mean what would that you know what would you have felt about a 50 I'm saying the episode but what would you have felt about a 50 minute version of that that was just eight minutes short <laughs> really yeah I think I think they could have yeah. gotten there but I agree like a 45 minute um, I have been rewatching Gilmore Girls and you know like <laughs> I can jump right into another yes, episode exactly. after 45 yeah. minutes yep. because I haven't felt like I've spent my yeah. whole day watching it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no I, I agree I like I like sometimes to feel like oh that episode was really complete and it yes mm. it took an hour but I felt that mm. the power of that hour but more often than not I'm like get over yourself everybody <laughs> my god get over yourself like edit <laughs> yes I is am I wrong to think and this is sort of a, a like trending a, a trend in in TV making that at a certain point prestige stopped referring to quality and started referring to budget. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, look, this is... <laughs> I, I'm very proud of the TV I made for 13 years in the Absolutely. Vampire Diaries universe. And we did not have a ton of money and we set out to make really, really compelling stories that looked incredibly cinematic. Yeah. And we did the best that we could. And we all, like, I have DPs that I would put up against any of these fancy guys. Absolutely. I have, you know, production designers, costume designers that I would, you know, die for. And to see then I go over to prestige <laughs> television and I say, oh, I'd like to hire this DP that I love and trust and to have everybody in the prestige factory be like, you know, we'd really love you to take a look really? at, you know, Without saying it, the fancier people, right. writers, craftsmen, whatever, and because I, of their resumes. and I say you can't punish them for their loyalty. The reason they have ten years of CW shows on their resume is because they just spent ten years shooting for me. And now I'm telling you that this is the person who I believe is the most talented person I've ever worked with, and you're turning your nose up at their resume, and that's the stuff that makes me crazy because it, it's like everyone. I won't name names of, you know, big fancy streamers because I watch all their shows and I die Absolutely. to work for them. So, you know, like, <laughs> let's be clear. Um, but the idea that there are shows out there that are not that good that happen to have very big movie stars in them and get these $15, $20 million episodic budgets and you're just like, good God, man. Yeah. Like, you could make, I could make three seasons of television. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for that, and so. all that money doesn't make the writing better. No, it you know, really like, doesn't. And I think, uh, I mean, you use the word cinematic is something we all aspire to. I mean, I come from, you know, I've only worked in television, but I come to the whole thing from being, a, you know, a complete film nerd, as a lot of us do. Um, and you want things to be beautiful and look great, but I also think sometimes, but it's so cinematic, is the excuse for. Yeah. There was just pictures for a really long time, and not a lot happened. <laughs> people you know? looking at each and other. And I think for you have minutes. to really. Um, 
you know, and that is the balance in TV. Because like yeah. I said back at the start, I just think, and I love all that, so I've just made a show full of it, <laughs> but it still comes down to two people in a room will a kiss, won't they? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, that's, the and, and that's the heart of television. <laughs> yeah. So true. And, and, you know, and those character things. And I think, and I think you've got to remember that at the point you're just relying on your spectacle, I think, I think, you know. Yeah. But I will say one thing that I've seen, that I've witnessed as a viewer, that I'm sort of loving <laughs> as a writer, is that because everyone's so like prestige they let their auteurs, in quotes, um, break rules. Mm-hmm. And sure. so, and then if people like the show, now there's precedent for the mm-hmm. rules being broken. And then you can say, to yourself as a writer or, you know, push back to an executive in a less fancy environment, (laughs) you know, hey, you know what? We don't necessarily need to do this thing that you think always needs to be done in television because look at this great show. Like, I'm friendly with the showrunners and creators of Yellow Jackets Mm because they used to work on the originals. And I called them after I finished their series and I was like, at their season, I said, you guys started with a thing in your first <laughs> scene and you ended your season without ever getting back to the thing. We're not even close to the thing. When are we getting to the thing? How dare you? But how awesome, because now now yeah. we're free. We're yeah. all free. <laughs> you have freed us. <laughs> yeah. It's it's absolutely right. There's freedom in, in getting to change the language yeah. of TV storytelling. <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to talk about, like we we talked about ep- episode shape and size, but season sa- shape and size is a part of it too. With orders, you know, getting from five or six episodes now, where you know a year ago they were at ten or thirteen, and you know classically they were at in the twenties. Um, does it change the way you think about story about how you shape a season? Um, l- let's talk about high school specifically and like yeah. how, wh- what was your season order and how did you decide what story to tell here? It was it was eight episodes and it is I think about you know I came from network comedy where we were doing 22 and if I even imagine what a season of high school would have looked like for over 22 episodes sure. it just wouldn't it's such a quiet contained mm-hmm. world I, I think we would have been doing ourselves a disservice even doing 10 or 10 or 12. I mean, there were certain things that we knew we need to hit of these are two twins who are musicians. So at some point they got to find a guitar and that's probably <laughs> going to be halfway through the season. And we're probably going to build to whatever their first, right. their first show. But is. also you got to have that halfway through the season and yes. not at the end of act one. Yes, exactly. And that was, and, that, and I mean, to, to free these credit like that, that was a huge thing that I don't know that other people would have let us do mm-hmm. was a huge selling point of the show was like we have to be able to tegan and sarah fans should like this show but we cannot only rely on people who are aware of who tegan and sarah are to watch the show it has to appeal to people as a high school show or a queer show or a show about family um it has to it has to be to be bigger than that but it just we knew that there were the like landmarks of their personal life that we had to hit we knew it probably was going to take place over the course of a school year um and just as we looked at how those things laid out it just yeah it felt like an episode was yeah what it needed to be that that's good to hear um and i have a similar question about ty cave rescue you know this doesn't feel like, I mean, it could potentially feel like in the wrong hands, one of these people who says, I'm just making an eight hour movie. 
but it feels like you have episodes. We do have episodes. Yeah. So so tell me about like shaping that thing and figuring out how long this needs to be and how is it not, you know, a continuous movie? Uh oh my gosh, a continuous movie. <laughs> right? That seems awful. <laughs> it does. <laughs> There was a lot of discussion when we first came into Netflix about how long it would be. I think predating me, they had talked about it being a movie, and which has been done. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Different approach. Yeah. Uh, but we, Michael and I, have worked together a long time, and we've kind of had uh, story structure Beaten isn't the right word. <laughs> um, drilled into us sure. by uh, you've internalized it. the first person that we worked for as writers, and um, gotcha. and so we're very, uh, we're I think we're very good at holding each other accountable to like when we're being indulgent. And so as we started pushing on sort of the natural progression of the rescue, it just kind of fell into place. And John Chu mentioned at one point that it felt like. The episodes as we were imagining them were starting to naturally fall around a different theme. Hmm. Um, and so actually each episode sort of builds off of that. We have hope and grief and sacrifice and courage and hmm. that all kind of communication because um, the one thing that when we walked into Netflix we said was we want every person, this is a global story, we want every person to walk in speaking the language that they spoke at the time of the rescue. So we actually have, I think it's three or four different Thai dialects. We have oh, wow. English, a little Mandarin. That's cool. So, so that's how we fell into like the communication thing. Um, the defaults on Netflix is the English dub. Please do not listen to or watch it that way. Um, it's meant to be watched in Thai wow. because if you watch it in Thai, the actors will naturally start to speak English as the story progresses. But, um, you know, it, it just fell into sort of a three-act structure, I think, because as the people sort of revealed themselves to us, um, it worked out. We would have actually liked to probably do five episodes, but it didn't work out that way. Um, we were asked to do six. And, um, <laughs> so let, let's talk yeah. about that for a second. And I know, like, we don't have to get too deep into it, but I am curious about, like, how do you avoid running into exactly this thing that Steve was talking about, where it feels like this much doesn't need to be there. Because certainly you have enough story, too. I mean, like, you have enough characters. Depending on who you ask on Twitter. Um, but I never ask Twitter. <laughs> I mean, it, that, that is a great question. There are a lot of people. And I actually think we had an abundance of riches in that. There, every time we interviewed a new person, we found out that their story was just as interesting as the sure. person before. And so... We really had to to pick and choose, but um, it it just the idea of them being trapped, understanding what being trapped is, and then the second act going into how do we solve sure. this problem felt right. Yeah. And then there's there, a natural kind of there's a natural, and there was so many obstacles to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then our our sort of climax, second act out. Uh, one of the divers, um, a volunteer from the Thai military, dies. Um, inside the cave on a uh, when he was going in to deliver ox air tanks and um, I've been corrected by Twitter it is air tanks not oxygen tanks gotcha. um, just to be clear and 
And so that kind of, that to me, that was a big turning point in the whole process because they had had this plan for how to get the boys out of the cave. And when mm. Jossam dies, they suddenly realized everything that we had planned is way too dangerous. And if we do this, we will definitely lose some of these kids, if not all of them. And so they reevaluated. And so from there, that was sort of our turning point sure. into how do we, how do we solve this final problem? And a storm is coming. We have 48 hours. We have to get these boys out of the cave. And so we were fortunate in that That's not amazing. all stories have this kind that of progression. That is really incredible. Um, it's an amazing story, but I also, what I'm getting from this is um, next time I write up a pitch, I want you to just come give it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because the yeah. storytelling, yeah. the way you tell the story Absolutely. is amazing. I haven't this- seen the show because I've been crazy yeah. with all the stuff okay, but, but I am now like I am now like it's just gone straight it's to the top of the I can't wait to watch it the, yeah, the I mean, best marketing like, they're doing is sending yeah, you out to incredible. talk about yeah. this show I will say we also have 13 or 12 non-actor boys from Chiang Rai in the north who had are the heart and soul of our show and Wow. For me, they are the reason oh to watch. Wow. They get incredible. We're, we're all going to watch. We may put it up on this Some team. Some of them are actually <laughs> on the real soccer team. That's so cool. Really? Yeah. That's wild. Oh, my wow. God. That's crazy. That's just something. The project sounds like something to be incredibly proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I told my husband when I got back from Thailand, because um, we shot in the real cave. We shot in oh the real God. homes. Oh, wow. Everything. Wow. I was like, I will never have an experience like this again. I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a great place to work, by the way. I mean, we—I I was yes. in Thailand the same time as you, and I have to say the crews out there and the, the spirit they bring and just what you get—amazing. I would, I would, you know, I love shooting there. Really, at a really tough time, obviously last year, you know, just it was tough everywhere in the world. Yeah. But man, those guys brought it. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, great they to were hear. Great. Wholeheartedly um, agree. I wanted to before we move too far away from like the, the length and and um, how many episodes it takes to tell a story, Steve. I wanted to ask about. Um, a couple of the shows that you worked on years ago, Hannibal and The Punisher. And like, it feels like, especially on Hannibal, like that was a question. And so maybe we've talked to Fuller about this too, like a fight that was going on constantly about how discreet would episodes be? How serialized would this thing be? Like that was on at a weird time before all the streaming stuff hit. Uh, or just as it was starting to, so like we didn't know what prestige TV yeah. on network, especially. Well, I think was. I think three years later, it would probably have been a streaming show, absolutely, right? and and maybe would yeah. have, um, you know, interestingly, maybe wouldn't have been thirteen a season, but maybe would have lasted longer. Or who knows? Um, I mean, that show didn't have a big budget, had an amazing cast, you know. I mean, again, I, I think it goes to the point of. Um, Prestige isn't just about, but like, and, and in truth, to your point, I mean, I'm um, I'm no dictionary guy, but I think prestige is, you know, other people defer that on yeah. you, right? It's not, so, you've got to be good, or used to be, you should be good, it, to your point, it isn't just, well, hey, we, we spend a lot. Um, you know, and, and I was lucky, you know, to work with Brian on that because he's got such a vision and he does not settle and he won't quit on it, you know, and so, uh, there were a lot of battles and, you know, I sort of sat next to him when he fought a lot of them. But I think it also was a really great looking show. Absolutely. Um, you know, which again is if it's ultimately deemed prestige, you go, yeah, it's because he had a vision and we had great directors and an amazing DP right. and, and, and it gets that place. But also, I think what probably helped that show, I hope I'm getting this right, is that it was because of the production model with the studio Gaumont, it was a 13 episode pickup straight to series which also we were at the early end of that 
and it was when it was kind of true. I think they had to commit to them all because the truth is our numbers were never great. I think they were mm-hmm. just great enough that the show, you know, right. made sense for NBC and it was getting great reviews. Um, but, you know, if we'd been living on our numbers alone on that show, of I'm course. not sure we'd have, you know, we'd have. And this was also season. like during the steep decline of network numbers anyway. And like it, it would no one was getting numbers, you know, outside yeah. of the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you, you, I'm sure there was stuff in between, but you go over to Punisher and, like, similarly, tell me about, like, shaping that as far as this being episodic or this being an, a, a whole story. What was, you know, what I, was expected of you? Um, I knew it was 13. Okay. Which is a lot, especially Which compared to what they're doing now. Were known as, yeah, those shows, you know, they... When they sold the original suite of Marvel shows, mm-hmm. I think the whole point was, you know, four thirteens, and it was, oh, okay. it was a big, and so we fell into that model. Um, and look, it's great if you know because you try and um, build enough story in to serve the show. I'm a big believer in building seasons into acts. Mm-hmm. So if you know what your number is, then a season should have acts just the same as an episode should. You know, and sure. if it's if it's ten, you probably you know, the first three are act one, the last two are the finale, and, yeah. and you find where that middle breaks, you know, so that the season has those, to what you were being asked to do every 12 minutes, it sounds like, Julie, <laughs> but, you know, so it, it has those apps like, oh, shit, that just happened, or what, yeah. you know, so I think you have to sort of, especially if it's serialized, I almost feel like you have to do that work in some ways like a novelist, and you have to plan the whole book. Yeah. Um, I love getting in the room with a roadmap. So I, I tend to write a big Bible mm-hmm. that I give the writers and go, this is the worst the show can be. <laughs> but there will be a page per episode as I see it. And I've, I've already thought this is what's in it. And a lot of that work that normally a room would do, I just, otherwise I would sit there and just go, that's a great idea, put it on the box. <laughs> and after eight weeks, I still wouldn't know <laughs> yeah. what the season You was. have to have those guys. Um, as I say, I sort of think through my fingers. So I have to get that sort of template down. And then that's what we that's what we work for, right. you know. And, and it often changes and invariably F10 ends up being F6. But, mm-hmm. um, but that's certainly how I approached um, Punisher and, and Shantaram. I was going to ask, so you've done that uh, on, on subsequent shows. Yeah. And I look also... Um, not because it's the only thing I do, but the last four things have been book adaptations. Mm-hmm. If you include Hannibal, yeah, yeah. and so there's also a, you know, there's an inbuilt structure yes. to the book that you also yeah. are sort of riffing off. I mean, Behind Her Eyes was abs- the book's in three parts, and each one of those was two hmm. episodes, and that book broke down perfectly. You know, the job there was literally because the book's two different first-person narratives was how do we tell this for the screen. Hmm. And it's st- and not give the game away. Right. Oh, that's um, interesting. Um, I want to talk about that another time because, I, and I feel like I have so much more to ask mm-hmm. all of you. Um, but I wanted to get to this uh, as long as we're all getting along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Julie, I was reading uh, that you have produced over three hundred episodes of television. Uh, this is what the internet tells me. <laughs> does it get easier? No, no. It so. Does. How do you keep going? I, it's funny because I was just talking to my friends the other night, and they said, "Remember when you used to do twenty-two, but like you had you had <laughs> you had two shows and three shows on the air at once, and you were doing twenty-two, yeah. twenty-two, and I think twenty. I, one year I did sixty-six, 
Wow. Now, I wasn't running the third yeah. one, but I was definitely heavily involved in Absolutely. the first two. And and I said, you know, I think I was like in the equivalent of an alcoholic bender. I think the workaholic bender, I think you're just yeah. running on complete, pure adrenaline. I don't know that I could do that again. I just mm-hmm. don't know. I don't, I like my dog and my life and going home yeah. at night and sleeping yeah. and all those things that you kind of earn your way into. I think when you start as a showrunner, you're kind of just conditioned to give up and sacrifice everything in order to not fail. And then you're just slowly earning your life back in small incremental ways. And so what happens is my job is easier now than it was Mm -hmm. when I was show running 22 episodes because I delegate so much more now because I choose to delegate so much more because I thought I might die if I continued taking it all on myself. Of course. I mean, it's, you know, it's a ridiculous job. It is not a job for one person. It is a job for like 15 people. They make it a job for one person. The only way to not fail miserably is to either do everything and then call yourself a genius or to delegate everything and just hope to Christ it works. So it's scary as an artist to choose option B. You're basically saying like, I am empowering other people to be talented here. And boy, oh boy, do I hope that I'm just as good at mining other people's talents as I am at doing it myself. And sometimes they're so much better than you, mm-hmm. and it's amazing That's the dream, because right? you get to say, "I never would have written a script this good," or "Oh my god, this edit is incredible," and I'm so pleased. And I'm going home to have dinner, like <laughs> you know, at eight o'clock, and this is amazing, you know. Um, and sometimes you people are like, oh, I just don't like this season as much as I liked last season. And you're like, what changed? I'm not doing as much work, you know. And then you feel bad because you feel like you're taking the easy way out or being a little lazy. And then you punish yourself for all those reasons. So okay. where I've gotten to in my life is that there is only so much that I am willing to do anymore um, at the expense of my sanity, my happiness, my health. Um and I will give everything I can up to that point. And then if I can't get it done up to that point, I just have to trust other people to do it. And by the way, duh, it's TV. It's a group fucking <laughs> process. <Yeah. laughs> like I am not Sam Ishmael, right? And never have been, never will be. And God bless him because he's brilliant. <laughs> but like I'm not that pr- – TV is supposed to be done as a team. Yeah. We just put all that on ourselves because we're artists and we think that we got to do it. Sure. And we drag everyone into that mire with us. We make them all suffer. It's better and it's more enjoyable when you're just like, hey, team, we're all in this together. You're as good as I am, if not a million times better. And let's get in here and let's all make sure we get Mm -hmm. to sleep tonight. You know, it's just really hard to do. And to your point about does it get easier? It doesn't, but I think you get better at it just with experience. So also, it should always be hard because you're working as hard as you can to make it the best it can be, right? But but the thing that comes with experience is just going, there's a big hole in the road there. Hmm. I yeah. know because I fell yeah. in it last time. <laughs> exactly. And people, and sometimes people will do a little bit, no, no, we think we can get, I'm telling you now, we ain't driving over that. I've been We've got to go road. around. Yeah, I've yeah. been there before. And that's, that's where, and then therefore, hopefully, that helps the process. It helps everyone do better work. And I think so. Yeah, I never find it gets easier, but I hope I get better at it, which then often is about 
creating the space for everyone else to do all their best work, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I'm just, like, reliving my past and, and as I listen to you. And I was about to say that the bummer is, as you get deeper into it and, and you know, and, and protect yourself more, mm-hmm. the high of the success is less high, but the low of the disappointment is infinitely less low Mm -hmm. you know like I can have a failure now and be like oh that's a bummer that sucks but I can get on with my life you know whereas before the idea of failing was like yeah absolutely a disaster but then I remembered I didn't get the high of success the first time around because I was broken exactly I was so broken it took I didn't know what that I don't know what success feels like I now can look back and call it successful right. but I didn't get to enjoy feeling like it was successful so I don't really know where the joy comes from and I think other than in, <laughs> in hindsight and do you think I, I've only done one broadcast show here in, in the US do you also think there was something in in that where you were so just even on you know that, that one show you were so just attuned into how do we do are we staying on right? yeah that it wasn't even about was that upgrade? Did I move the audience too? It was like, I haven't even watched it. Yeah. And then you were like, do we get to go another week? And I think that, yeah. you know, I, I mean, that must have been incredibly tough for us because I sort of, at least with the streaming, you know, the last right. three, four things, you know they're going to show it all <laughs> and people are going to see it all and an audience will decide. Unless it's on HBO. But that idea that you're almost judged in terms of, you're not going to be there next week, must be incredibly stressful, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you, you're asking a lot of people to go on this ride with you. And you're promising them, I'm going to take care of you for the next amount of months. Um, and then it could all be over in the like, blink of an eye. Or we could be together for eight years. You know, there's this weird, yeah. this weird, that's the nomadic cycle of, you know, the circus life, which personally, I actually, that's the one thing I prefer about the longer orders and broadcast is if I build a crew yeah. and the show is doing well, then I can say, hey, stick with us. Like, take a baby job in between or take a vacation, mm. but we'll be back mm. and we'll be able to take care mm. of you. And when you're doing these 10-episode shoots that take a year and a half and then they order a writer's room like six months later and you need six months to write scripts, you're you're recruiting, yeah. the danger of recruiting every single time. And one of the reasons I love this job, when I, as I talk about there being no joy, that is a slight <laughs> exaggeration, because one of the reasons I have always loved this job is I love the community. Yeah. And... By the end of an eight-year show, and you have 80% of your crew that's been with you since like year one or two, you have built a family and you have built a squad that is very meaningful to you. And that means something. Mm. The content aside, the process and experience means a lot. Mm. Um, So to not have that, the intimacy of that just completely goes away when it's like a year and a half between seasons and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is both depressing and heartening to know that it never gets easier at any level or <laughs> more stable at any level. I feel level. like John Wells, probably for him it got easier. I feel like he <laughs> talks a really good game about like how he does it and it seems easier for him. Mm-hmm. So he might be... Must be nice. You know, he might be the outlier. He's the one. He's the um, one. Listen, we, we could go all day. Um, you are a lovely group. Everyone, go check out um, Vampire Academy 
uh, Shantaram High School and Thai Cave Rescue. We're all going to watch each other's shows now. Freebie. Yeah, sure. go, freebie. go to Freebie. Yeah. I'm, so uh, excited. Find I'm freebie. so excited to check out I'm Freebie. I'm going to pay to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to send Freebie a check. I'm going to watch it on Be like, yeah, here's my subscriber money. <laughs> we, we end as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones, the room that you're in if you're in one? Um, and Steve, let's start with you. Uh, I just finished The Bear. So good. Which I love. The best. And, uh, I had to watch it with the subtitles on. Yeah. I did. I couldn't understand it. It was like watching a show in a different language. <laughs> but it was amazing. Yeah. I, you know, it just reminded me things about writing. I mean, yeah. s- some of what I've said today, like stakes and being inv- and understanding and investing in the stakes for the character. And it then doesn't matter how tiny they are. You know? Another rule-breaking show. Ends yeah. of episodes, just like, let's yeah. end on a pastoral shot of the L train going by and a man staring at the city lights <laughs> and a nice <laughs> steak sizzling in the butter. Story's over at the yeah. end. I'm but like, also, and like... a 17-minute episode. Yes, when that right? one episode, the, the, I think the second to last. Yeah. Oh, my God, that one was yeah. When I was like, they did not try to stretch this out to 24 no. or something. They just yeah. made it 17. Right. I was so, yeah. so yeah. happy. And they've earned that subway, yes. unlike uh, Game of Thrones. That pilot they also like breaks the rules, right? They throw you in immediately yeah. and trust that you're gonna Yeah, yeah you know who no one is, not. it's all yeah, yeah it's chaos. Um, yeah, and it's it could be really alienating. I mean Absolutely I, I'm sure I'm sure there are people who just went Yeah. You know. Um well, it's just people shouting at each other for ten minutes. I mean I, I was kind of in reminded me of uh, growing up. But um <laughs> but um but no it was uh you know that's great, and then I'm um, halfway through the offer on mm-hmm. um, Paramount Plus, which I just sort of I'm finding really entertaining, and I love for the uh, you know the sort of and I'm sure it's a myth, but a myth of how it used to be back then making stuff. Sure. You know? <laughs> um, I've heard good things. I have to check it out. Uh, Dana, what are you watching? Uh, Reservation Dogs. So good. So good. Um, I do a lot of work in the Pacific Islander community, um, to really working to try to get their voices out and get some shows made for them and so I think it's an excellent example of representation in front of and behind the camera and Sterling is doing amazing things and how he crews up and how he allows the stories to be told so that's that's one of the best right now and also physical on Apple that um, I think most people who reviewed it have never met a woman with an eating disorder and so don't understand the kind of obsessive thought process that goes yeah. in and I'm just so impressed with the way they handled it. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to watch, but it's Absolutely. um it's really good. But it is it is another like it feels true. It feels real. Yeah. It it's while so, still being entertaining. Totally. It's absolutely entertaining and it's it's about taking stories that people think they understand and telling them from a different perspective. Hmm. Yeah. Um and Roseburn is excellent in it. Yeah. I feel like the revelation of this little hour we've had together is that Dana's a really good person. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, I'll let the listener know we cut out all the bad stuff. <laughs> it was rough. Uh, Laura, what are you watching these days? Um, I just finished the most recent season of Harley Quinn, and I just so started hard. the most recent seasons of uh, The Good Fight and For All Mankind. A lot of shows that are nothing like the things that I work yeah. on. Yeah. But I like them. And these are great shows. Yeah, yeah. We don't talk enough about Harley Quinn. You know, it comes up once in a while on this, but it's so good. And it's not, yeah, I'm not a big superhero person necessarily. And I just, it's the funniest show on TV to me. Yeah, absolutely. Good recommendation. Julie. 
It's very funny. So I've been screaming to the rafters of late about For All Mankind because I was so turned off by the pilot three years ago that I never went <laughs> no. back until three years later enough people said it was good. So I watched the whole series and it's fantastic. It's, it's great, isn't it? It's is so great. incredibly enjoyable. And I now tell everybody, like, go back, rewatch the pilot. It's pretty boring. Yeah. Get you through know, that. And like get through it, but get to the end of the second episode and you will see yeah. what the series promises. And and that that is a case where breaking the rules, in my opinion, was the wrong way to go. <laughs> they did not declare the series true, in the first yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably um, actually put up a hurdle, you know, a mm-hmm. viewer hurdle that they didn't deserve, you know, or they deserved it because they made that choice, but that the series doesn't deserve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing. Um, and then, but more importantly, I have, I never watch comedies ever. And lately, I've been sort of soothed by the little half hour, you know, mm-hmm. in bed. You know, I can watch one more and not totally ruin myself. And comedies have shifted in the last, you know, generation. Comedies to me used to be people being funny but never changing. Like always reverting to their own shitty behavior or their dumb behavior, or their comedic buffoony behavior again and again and again. And now this new sort of brand of comedy is is it's like a, a dramedy it's yeah. you know it's it really feels emotional and like people go on arcs and so i've been very into comedy lately and i've just binged the entire three seasons of never have i ever which is it's so so <laughs> wonderful so good. it's like a john hughes movie just yeah. on endless repeat i love it so I love the love triangle. I love the friendship. I love all the girls. I love the Indian family, the culture. I loved it all so much. And I am so, I'm, as they say, the kid's standing so hard. Um, And then I follow that up with Heartstopper, which again is like just the most warm, delicious, wonderful. Netflix, yeah. It's very, it's like the whole thing's four hours. It's like 10 episodes. I was trying not to watch anything that might get in the way of the algorithm for me so oh. now I can go back to that <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone let Thai Cave Rescue just run in the background yes. watch something on your <laughs> yes. phone or whatever <laughs> while you watch that uh, thank you all so much for being here uh, it was a pleasure meeting getting to see you all getting to know you all uh, come back anytime thank, thank you, you. Yeah, thank you forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by dog. Brett Boehm Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.